Is it a sin? Is it a crime? Loving you dear like I do. If it's a crime, then I'm guilty. Guilty of loving you. Hello there, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Criminal Broads, the true crime and history podcast about wild women on the wrong side of the law that you know and love, unless you're new here, in which case, welcome. Today we have our monthly interview episode where Tori takes off her gold research bangles from each wrist, sits down in a comfy chair, pours herself a steaming mug of coffee, and let someone else tell her about a criminal broad from the past. So today we're going to hear the story of Sophie Lyons, who you maybe haven't heard of, but it's crazy that you haven't heard of her because she was such a famous female criminal in her day. And we're going to hear from Shane Davidson, who is the author of Sophie Lyons' biography. It's called Queen of the Burglars, The Scandalous Life of Sophie Lyons. But before we get into the story of Sophie, a couple of things. Thank you for responding to last week's episode. So last week we heard about the mystery of Dorothy Arnold, who vanished in 1910 and nobody ever found out what happened to her. A lot of you agree with me that the family was sketchy and probably had something to do with it. I don't know if that's because my episode was completely biased towards that theory, (laughs) but a lot of you seem to have the same suspicions that I do. And I also want to point out, a listener on Instagram messaged me a very ingenious reason for the sketchiness in Mr. Arnold's will. This listener was saying that maybe the reason he called Dorothy out in his will as dead was for legal reasons, so that no imposter could show up and be like, I'm Dorothy, I'm here, give me all your money, or like, I'm Dorothy, you didn't put me in the will, but I'm going to contest it because I'm your daughter. So I thought that was an interesting take worth putting out there, an interesting explanation for the will oddness. Okay, one last thing, and this is a bit of a change of tone, but I wanted to remind you, if you're not, to follow, if you can, the trial of Derek Chauvin, who is the police officer accused of murdering George Floyd. This is something I know as people who consume true crime, especially historical true crime, it is easy to sort of get stuck in the past and forget to pay attention to cases that are going on right now. Um, but it's I, I really feel that we cannot ethically do one without the other. It's not, it's just, we can't put our heads in the sand and pretend that crimes aren't happening today and that very important issues are being played out right now. So I think that it's important to at least have your eye on the trial, even if you're not covering it blow by blow. Um, the New York Times has... They cover it. They have sort of a live coverage scrolling update thing where you can see read little blurbs about it. And there's a great Instagram account you can follow that's just Instagram.com slash Justice for George with lots of updates, bite-sized summaries. Also, my friend Rebecca Sebastian from Dialogue Podcast has been posting summaries of what's going on. We had her on a couple episodes ago. So if you want to go to Instagram.com slash Dialogue Pod, that's another way you can see. But whatever you do, however you get your news, I would advise you to be following it. Okay, we're going to get into the story. You're going to hear a quick break, 
some point for an ad. Sit back with me and enjoy this tale of a woman who, despite doing some more flashy crimes, some crimes that got her more money, could not seem to stop pickpocketing. Let's get into the story of Sophie Lyons. it would be fair to call Sophie the original criminal broad. Ooh, uh, I like it. <laughs> she thought of crime as her career. She truly did. Mm. So that makes her different than some people, you know, 19th century criminal, female criminals, even like Lizzie Borden or Jane Toppin or somebody like that. Mm. But so she viewed it as a career the way other women might have viewed teaching or nursing or something like that. She was very good at her career. Not only did she end up a rich woman, she also had a very interesting life. And her crimes were really broad ranging. They went from pickpocketing and shoplifting all the way to sexual blackmail and bank robbery and other types of con games. And also she started as a child. Mm. And uh, when her parents forced her to steal, but she decided to stick with the career and she continued it until she was essentially an old woman. Mm. So it was a very long career, more than 50 years of being a criminal. We know she was born in 1847 in Laub Germany, that's Southern Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, she came over with her two brothers and two cousins in 1855. And her parents were already in New York City. They'd come over the previous year. Don't know why they came separately. But um, she came then and, you know, her parents had settled on the Lower East Side, you know, the tenement area, the very poor area of New York, which is now totally different. And um, (laughs) they started doing crimes right away, pretty much. So, We don't know if they intended to come over and do crimes or if it was just what they got into once they got to the U.S. And when you say they, do you mean her whole family? I mean, her whole family that can be traced, yes, Mm -hmm. um, except for her younger sister. Yeah, they all were involved in crime. Her father was a fence, meaning Mm -hmm. he would sell stolen goods Mm -hmm. he had a little store at first he was like going with a cart on the street (laughs) but then he got a store and he was selling fenced goods and he went to prison because he refused to pay a bribe to the police Mm. so you know this is the era of boss tweed and tammany hall Mm -hmm. and the police is very corrupt and Mm. you have to pay them bribes and if Mm -hmm. you don't do it you're going to get into big trouble and he did So he went to prison and her uh, older cousin was also apparently involved with this type of stuff. And he went to prison also, but it was really her mother who was the person that was most involved with Sophie because her mother was a pickpocket and shoplifter and she taught Sophie to be a pickpocket and shoplifter. And in fact, she was Mm -hmm. forced to do that Mm -hmm. um, to get involved in those crimes by her family. They would burn her with hot pokers and step on her feet and punch her around if she wasn't bringing in enough stuff. Right. Yeah, I've I've seen parallels to that in some other 
female criminals and probably male criminals too. Like they get pressured by their parents to bringing mm-hmm. home a certain amount of money or something. Mm-hmm. The hot pokers do seem a little like, was that Sophie maybe trying to make her audience more empathetic to her or? It could be, it could be, but she yeah. did come up with that story, you know, fairly early in her career when she started to give, Okay, she gave a lot of interviews to newspaper reporters in oh, the 1890s. And, yeah. you know, she's still like in her late thirties, early forties. Mm-hmm. So, she, you know, she's not yet really given up crime. Mm. So, yeah. Oh, imagine interviewing Sophie Lyons in the 1890s. I would love to do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I would love to do it. So um, so she had, did have this abusive childhood. Yes. As far as mm-hmm. we know. And it seems like that affected her mentally throughout her life. Is that fair yes. to say? I think that's fair to say. I mean, you know, looking back, there's no way to know exactly what mm-hmm. was going on. But she certainly did have mental problems. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about that. Now, were they caused by that? Was it like a PTSD type of thing? Mm-hmm. Or would she have had them anyway? It's hard right. to say. My guess is that she was bipolar in mm-hmm. an era when nobody knew anything about what that was. She was suffering from some type of illness, mental illness, probably bipolar disorder, and just having to deal with it right. on her own. This show is brought to you by our new sponsor, BetterHelp Online Therapy. These days, at the tail end, fingers crossed, fingers crossed, of a pandemic, what are you doing to take care of yourself? Something, I hope. I'm personally trying to have green smoothies more often. Cliché, I know. Taking care of our bodies as best we can, trying to get sleep, trying to drink water. But what about taking care of your mind? We can't forget to do that, guys, which is where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to, if you have Zoom fatigue like the rest of us. It is much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your new therapist in under 48 hours. So join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself, not just during a pandemic, because you are your greatest asset. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Criminal Broads listeners will get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash criminal broads. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash criminal broads, or you can find the link in the show notes. Tell me about her life as a young, attractive, young female <laughs> thief slash swindler slash con women slash whatever else she was. Like, okay. what, were, what were some of her first big crimes? Well, she did some kind of crime that got her sent to the House of Refuge, a burglary in mm-hmm. New York City. That was a juvenile detention facility, the earliest mm. juvenile detention facility in the, in the U.S. Okay. And I don't know exactly what that crime was, but um, she was sent there and at the house of refuge they trained the boys so that they would have skills when they came out Mm. but the girls only got trained to like be a menial servant in some rich person's house really yes so uh you know 
there was a big distinction. I feel that when she came out of the House of Refuge, when she was you know, a young teenager, she decided, this is it. I'm going to be a criminal. There's no way I'm going to just right. be somebody's maidservant. And after that, she got involved with Marm Mandelbaum, who was a really well-known New York City fence, mm-hmm. and um, developed her skills. From there, she uh, met her first husband, Ned Lyons. Okay. And or her I'm sorry, her second husband. Her <laughs> oh, excuse, first husband. excuse us. <laughs> <laughs> she had so many. It's hard to keep her. Um, her first husband was Maury Harrison. We don't really know much about him and they were very young and or at least she was and the la- marriage didn't last very long. Mm-hmm. So her second husband and the man whose name she became known by was Ned Lyons. And mm-hmm. he was a, an immigrant to to America just like she had been although he was from Ireland. And he was kind of a big time bank robber. He mm. had gotten, he was older and he was pretty well known by the time uh, they met. And apparently she, uh, he, she charmed him and they got married in 1865. She was already pregnant with their first child. Okay. And um, so she claimed that she was involved with a lot of his bank robberies. It's not entirely clear that she was, mm-hmm. but the big job that, that he did was the Ocean Bank robbery in 1869, and it was a really big robbery of um, the Ocean Bank in Lower Manhattan. Mm, Ocean's and, One. <laughs> pardon? <laughs> Ocean's <laughs> One. <laughs> yes, right. Ocean's One, right. So they did it in a really interesting way. They rented the basement below the bank, the bank robbers, and they drilled through the floor, the ceiling of their Mm -hmm. space, which was the floor of the bank. (laughs) And then on a weekend, the bank was not guarded, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And they broke through on the weekend and they got into the bank and broke into the vault and the safes and they robbed the um, Ocean Bank, and they got away with between half a million and a million dollars. Oh, my goodness. Of the currency of that time. The bankers didn't want to admit how much had been stolen mm. because it was so embarrassing mm-hmm. to them that they had done this stupid thing. Yeah, that they had rented out their basement. <laughs> they bought a house in uh, northern Manhattan, and so, you know, for them, that was probably a lavish lifestyle. I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to know. Mm-hmm. I would assume they probably were. Mm-hmm. Because they weren't the type of people that were, you know, like, oh, let's just put all our money away. Mm-hmm. So I would assume they were. You know, you would think they would have stopped crime, but they didn't. And Sophie continued to pickpocket and shoplift. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Ned continued to rob banks. So they ended up in Sing Sing prison. <laughs> uh, Sophie did some shoplifting, ended up in Sing Sing. Ned did another bank robbery and so they ended up there together, and that's kind of the first big event of their lives is um, this escape from Sing Sing mm. that they did. Yeah, so how did that work out? It worked out very well. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ned uh, bribed some people to get some disguises sent in to the oh. prison, and he also uh, found a guy uh, who was a prison trustee who would work with him and they got the warden and the assistant warden out of the prison by sending them some documents that convinced <laughs> them that they were invited to see the funeral of Horace Greeley which happened in December of 1872 
Whoa. Or really being a bit a very famous newspaper man of that era. Wait, so they got the warden and the assistant warden out of Sing Sing by sending mm-hmm. them a fake invitation to a yes. funeral. Yes. yes. <laughs> the creativity. Yes, I know. <laughs> okay, so the warden's like, I can't be here today. I'm going to a funeral. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and then exactly. what happens? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the minute they were out the door, they put on their disguises and walked out of the prison. Wow. And, and they had a carriage waiting with uh, other criminals who were driving the carriage, horse and carriage. They ran off to New York City. And then Ned came back a couple weeks later and he got Sophie out. She had gotten herself a job in the hospital. Mm. And he brought a big basket of fruit and said, hey, I'm a, you know, again, he puts his disguise on. He looks like a a gent, goes Mm -hmm. to the front door of the hospital, says, I, you know, want this poor prisoners who are sick to have all of this good stuff. (laughs) And Sophie uh, knows about the plan and she manages to come be the person who comes to the door and hands it to somebody else. And then she walks out and they escape. Ned actually had a really big problem, which was that same year that he did the Ocean Bank robbery, he got into a street fight with a guy. Okay. So this is kind of like Gangs of New York style stuff. He got Mm -hmm. into a street fight with a guy, and Ned loved to fight, apparently. (laughs) He was really muscular and strong, and, you know, he was big on fighting. So he got into a fight with this guy, and the guy bit most of his ear off. (gasps) Oh. So, yeah, disgusting. Mm -hmm. I know. Mm -hmm. So all he had was the lobe. And oh, he, gross. I know. <laughs> and he so this, but, but the bad thing for him was it made him really recognizable. It <laughs> yeah. meant his disguises didn't work as well unless he could figure out a way to cover his ear, you know. He got rearrested. And actually, she did too. But she was always good at getting lawyers. She understood about lawyers. Mm. Good lawyers were really important. So okay. she got a lawyer who claimed, well, my client's prison sentence is already up. You know, enough time has passed mm. that the sentence is up, so you have to release her. And amazingly, they did. Mm. They, the judge okay. agreed with that argument. And wasn't she also very convincing, you know, just able to talk her way out of situations herself sometimes? She was, but that's really more what comes next. when oh, okay. um, When <laughs> Ned's in prison again, And so Sophie's on her own now, and she's Mm -hmm. got children because they had a number of children, which she had no intention of just casting to the wind like a Mm -hmm. lot of criminal broads did. Mm -hmm. Uh, She wanted Mm -hmm. to raise her kids. I mean, she didn't really want them living with her, but she wanted (laughs) to support them. Okay. So that's a good thing about her. Yeah. So she had to come up with something on her own, and she came up with this method of sexual blackmail that worked (laughs) really well for her Mm. for a number of years so this was kind of she needed more money than she could get with the pickpocketing and the shoplifting so this is her kind of leveling up yes although she was always going to continue pickpocketing and sure sure but she needed more okay yeah she needed more okay so tell us about the sexual blackmail okay well so the sexual blackmail was kind of like a badger game if you know Mm. what a badger game is i do because of another project i did but would you explain it because i bet a lot of people don't 
Sure. It's a little bit like what happens in the musical Hamilton, which I guess happened in Hamilton's <gasps> real life, where this woman, he gets caught in this woman's net and, you know, she ends up getting her husband involved and he starts to blackmail mm -hmm. Hamilton. He says, you've had sex with my wife. Now you're going to have to pay me or, yeah, you know, it's yeah. going to become public. <laughs> so Sophie did sort of a similar thing, but she did it all by herself. She didn't mm. need anybody else. Mm. Usually in the Badger game, there was a woman who was the lure, who would mm -hmm. bring the, the mark in, who thinks he's going to have sex with the woman. And then there's a man who comes in and maybe they have sex or maybe after the sex, the man comes in and says, you know, pay me. You've mm -hmm. insulted my honor. But Sophie did it all by herself. And the way she did it sure. was she would go to a city where she wasn't known like Cincinnati or, you know, she loved mm -hmm. Ohio. She went to a lot of cities in Ohio. <laughs> there were a lot of big cities there. So she'd go there and she'd check into the best hotel. Mm -hmm. And then she would scope out what wealthy men she thought would make good marks. And she would go to the office of, you know, her first mark. And she would say, I have a real estate transaction I want to do. Could you help me with it? And he'd say, oh, certainly, madam. You're so charming and beautiful <laughs> and you're clearly rich. And, you know, but then she'd go, I've, I've left the deed in my hotel room. Would you meet me in my hotel room? Ooh. And he'd be like, certainly. <laughs> and then he'd go to the hotel room. You know, she'd shut the door and she'd start to take her clothes off. And oh. then she'd say, oh, you know, maybe we should get into bed for a little while before we worry about this business deal he would he'd take his clothes off and then she would either throw his clothes out the window or lock them in a trunk and, and his clothes lock his clothes in the trunk yeah or lock, lock him his, in the trunk no no okay. lock his clothes okay. in the trunk <laughs> okay so that he's naked now or nearly oh, naked and, and so she's like oh you want your clothes back Okay, get out your checkbook, you know. It's, oh. it's time for you to write me a check. <gasps> wow. So, and, you know, they were big checks that she <laughs> wanted, too, like a $1,000 to $10,000 <gasps> checks. Wow. So that was how she did that. And we only know about it when she was arrested for mm -hmm. it. So I'm sure she did it quite a lot. Oh, she I see only, what you mean. She was yeah. arrested a couple times, but she okay. did it a fair amount. So it sounds like these were one-time blackmail things. Like she wouldn't come back to the man and demand more. It was just a, in order to get your clothes back, I need a check. Right. Okay. Right. Now she did go back and demand more from men who, for whatever reason, decided they weren't going to pay. She mm. would really persistently go after them. Okay. And to embarrass them <laughs> or you know make sure their wives knew what was going on or whatever oh yeah interesting so I'm struck by it sounds like she finagled it so that she didn't actually have to sleep with anyone if she didn't want to she just got them in it's a very compromise okay it's hard to know mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. I expect she was willing to if it came to that but sure yeah I mean apparently she did have to sleep with this New York politician um, at one point when Ned went to prison the first time he was actually sent to a different prison and he wanted to go to Sing Sing because he knew it was easier to break out of Sing Sing. Okay. He said, go to Albany and work on it. Get, get <laughs> me moved. So ah. she did. And this politician wanted to sleep with her in order to help her. Okay. Mm. So yeah, that she's leveled up to this blackmail game. Mm -hmm. To sort of to provide for her children. Mm -hmm. Maybe she's benefiting herself, from it I'm herself. Sure. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so then what's next for her? 
Well, then she decides that she's really got to um, move to get out of New York, and she moves to Detroit. Mm -hmm. So Detroit is nowhere near as big as New York then, still isn't, but Mm -hmm. it's a big city, and it's a good place to go, and a lot of New York criminals were going there because, boop, you get across the Detroit River, you're in Canada, you're outside the jurisdiction of American law enforcement. Oh, nice. And so she went there, she established a home, and that's when she starts, in addition to doing her sexual blackmail, I call them honeypot schemes. Mm. She was also going around the Midwest pickpocketing and shoplifting. Okay. So, you know, she could go from Detroit to uh, yeah, Toledo or Cleveland mm-hmm. or someplace in Ohio, and it was a very convenient location. So she starts doing that and sending stuff back to her housekeeper in Detroit. Okay. And she gets a fence. They start to fence the things that she's stealing. Okay. And is she stealing from stores? She's stealing from stores and she's stealing from individuals. She's mm-hmm. ran the gamut. I don't think mm-hmm. she really was she cared. Pickpocketing sounds so small potatoes compared to getting a man to write you a $10,000 check mm-hmm. um, because of this honeypot scheme. So was mm-hmm. she? do we know if she was only targeting wealthy people and like really making a killing from each pickpocket? Or did she really not care and just like whatever tattered wallet she could get her fingers on, she'd grab? <laughs> They mostly stole watches, which were very valuable back then. Okay. Oh, how do you steal a watch, though? Oh, on a chain. Yeah. Not off a wrist. No, no, on a chain, right? I figured that out as I was asking the question. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, if you're good at it and you do that multiple times a day, Mm. you know, you've ended up with a pretty good take. Mm -hmm. And I think she just enjoyed pickpocketing. Mm -hmm. I think she was just very good at it and she really enjoyed it. Yeah, I can imagine it was quite the thrill. It's risky. You're right up close to your victim. Right. right. I can see how it might get a little bit addictive even. Yeah. Or a lot addictive. <laughs> right. That was the next um, phase. And mm-hmm. she got into big trouble, though, in Detroit through okay. this, the pickpocketing. Well, first of all, the Detroit police, they didn't know who she was at first. They didn't know she was this well-known New York criminal. And they were kind of confused by her. They were like, who is this woman? She doesn't behave like a normal woman. You know, (laughs) she's doing these crazy things. And she doesn't seem embarrassed at all Mm. when we arrest her for something. They thought she was addicted to morphine, actually. Eventually, they figure out who she is. And they're like, we are getting this woman out of here. We are (laughs) sick of her. We do not want her. And she probably was drawing people to Detroit. From New York. Other criminals. criminals. Other criminals, yeah. So eventually she pickpocketed one watch and chain in actually in Ann Arbor where I live, Hmm. which is close to Detroit. And she was tried three times for that (laughs) pickpocketing event. The first two times she was convicted, she was sent to prison. The third time, her lawyer, she always had good lawyers. Yeah, sounds Uh, like her lawyer kept appealing. Okay. And the third time she was found not guilty. Wow. So who knows how much what money they spent. What a coup. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's incredible, though. So, so she's free again, and does she get kicked out of Detroit? <laughs> Do the cops manage to get her out of there? Yes, she finally had to leave. She finally had mm-hmm. to leave. I mean, she still lived there, mm-hmm. but she really couldn't do crime there anymore. So she mm-hmm. kind of had to 
be much more careful in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And at this point, she's she's hooked up with another guy. Ned's pretty much out of it. She's like, I'm done with Ned. You know, mm-hmm. I want a divorce from him. So she hooks up with this other guy, Billy Burke, William Burke, who's a sneak thief. And they start going around the United States, primarily the Midwest and the Eastern area, and doing sneak thief bank robberies. Okay. And what's a sneak thief? A sneak thief is a person who stole money by subterfuge. They're not like going into a bank with a gun. Okay. And they're not breaking through the ceiling or the floor or whatever and blowing the safe open. Mm -hmm. They're pretty much con people. They're part con people and part bank robber. So they, they go into the bank. Banks were different then. You know, they weren't as careful about where they put the money and things like that. Mm-hmm. So they would come up with ways to nab whatever cash was lying around. So, you know, it wasn't going to be as big a robbery as the Ocean Bank robbery or the Manhattan Bank robbery where they're going to get like a million dollars. They're going to get a thousand or five thousand or whatever. That's, that's still a lot of money. Sure. You know? So Sophie was usually the person who was like distracting people. <laughs> of course. <laughs> She's distracting the, the tellers <laughs> or the clerks or whoever while Billy's grabbing the money. Okay. So they did these robberies together. They did these robberies together. Yeah. Okay. And he was also doing them by himself. But okay. yeah, they were also working together. Yeah. Okay. So this must have been kind of fun for her because she seemed to enjoy the interpersonal element of crime. <laughs> Sometimes when she was doing her honeypot blackmail, I think she would wear disguises. And she Ooh. would definitely wear disguises when they were doing the sneak thief robberies. Okay. So, Do we know you anything? know, at this point, she's got her hair really short, which mm. is really unusual for that time period. But that's so she can wear wigs and hats and all sorts oh, of things. Oh, okay. And, you know, sometimes she's like making herself look older She'd be in a carriage and uh, her partner, Billy or whomever, would go into the bank and say, my wealthy lady out in the carriage needs your help. Could you come out and talk Mm. to her? She wants to deposit a large amount of money. Mm. And she'd look like an old, you know, wealthy Mm -hmm. woman. Mm -hmm. And then he'd go back in and snag whatever he could find in the bank. I gotta say, I do love a disguise in a story. (laughs) She used a lot of them. Sounds like it. Do we know how she would age herself? Like, was she using makeup or prosthetics? She was using makeup. She also said she would wear, like, heavy glasses that Mm. would cover her eyes. Okay. She described her eyes as bright and and shining. (laughs) So she had had to dim them. She covered them them up. She had to dim her beauty down. Right. Right. (laughs) So how old is she about... Uh, around this time when she's with William? She's in her 30s. Okay, okay. 30s to early 40s. Okay. And and then she also, at some point, William or Billy, he ended up in prison a mm. lot. So then she hooked up with another guy named Big Jim Brady. Okay. Uh, and Married now it's him? Not Diamond Jim Brady. Not Diamond, okay. It's another, it's a Jim Brady who was a very big crook, and he was from New York, a uh, mm-hmm. very big criminal in that time period. And he was also a bank robber. He had been in Auburn prison for a long time. Sadly, Sophie's oldest child, her son, George Lyons, was also in Auburn prison. He also Mm. decided to go down that crime road, but apparently he wasn't very good at it. And he was caught right away and ended up in Auburn eventually. And he died in in Auburn (gasps) Oh, when he was only... 
20. Oh my God. He died when he was 20? Yeah, he got typhoid fever. Mm. Oh, and how old was he when he was imprisoned? Do you know? He was 15. Oh, that's really sad. Do we know how Sophie felt about this? Was she very disappointed that her son became a criminal? She was very disappointed. She tried to intervene. I mean, Mm. she was very busy herself, mostly Mm -hmm. in Detroit. Mm -hmm. But she heard that he was going bad. And she actually pulled him into court because he was in Manhattan. She pulled him into court in Manhattan and said to the judge, I want you to arrest my son and I want (laughs) you to put him in the House of Refuge on Randall's Island. That's the same place she had been. Yeah. The judge, he was impressed with George. He thought George was a real smart kid. Mm. And he was willing to let him off for a while, and he put him under the care of a Catholic priest. But eventually, George went back to doing whatever he was doing, and he ended up in Elmira Reformatory uh, in Elmira, New York, Mm -hmm. which was a sort of a juvenile detention place. It was for Mm -hmm. anybody who was 17 to 30, They offered training. Now, George wasn't 17 yet, though. He was younger than 17, but he lied about his age and said he was older. They sent him to Elmira, which he did not want to go to because they had Mm. indeterminate sentencing at Elmira. So basically, it was up to the warden when you got out. And George wasn't enthused about that idea. So he went there and he caused a lot of problems and, Mm. you know, he didn't do his work correctly and... So Mm -hmm. eventually they sent him to Auburn, and he wasn't in Auburn very long before he died. But Sophie did go and visit him in Auburn, and he pleaded with her to get him out. And she said, there's no way I can get you out of here. I'm sorry. You know. Do you think she meant that, or was she kind of saying, like, you made your bed, now you have to lie in it? I think it may have been some of both. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I I do think she was really unhappy with him going Mm -hmm. down the, the road to crime. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's hard to say, but I think it could have been some of both. And he didn't have very much longer to serve. He only oh. had another gear or something, and he was going to be okay. out anyway. Okay. So, and then we, he, and he died. Do we have any record of how she reacted when he died? Well, no, uh, not really. But what I was sort of leading up to was that this is how she got to know this guy, Big Jim Brady, because he'd been oh, okay. in Auburn with George. And he said to Sophie, he communicated with her and said, I have money. You know, I'm a bank robber. I have money. Mm -hmm. I will pay for George's funeral because she didn't have any money at that point. So I I will pay for George to be buried in an actual cemetery, not the prison grounds. So she took him up on that. And uh, George did get his burial. And once Jim got out, he and Sophie met in the UK and started their crime spree over there. They started doing these bank robberies and con games where they would convince people that they were wealthy. Big Jim Brady also loved disguises. He was really (laughs) big on disguises. So they would go around Europe convincing people they were wealthy and then they would rob them, you know, Mm. once they got into their good graces. It was kind of like Lady Killers, you mm. know, the movie Lady Killers. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that. But anyway, it's it's like these people are, you know, going to convince people, wealthy people, that they're above board, mm-hmm. which was not that hard to do, I think. And mm-hmm. then they rob them. You know? <laughs> well, also, if they were American, I feel like that gives them another layer of exoticism and difference from these wealthy Europeans. Mm, that's and true. I, I think that helps with the con sometimes because it's like 
if there's anything weird or off, you know, it can be chalked up to like, well, we're from a different country, so you don't quite understand us. <laughs> right, right. Did they get caught in the UK at all, or did they make their way back to America unscathed? Well, Sophie got caught in Paris. Hmm. Again, trying to pickpocket. Sophie. <laughs> she just didn't learn. <laughs> Sophie. <laughs> so she was thrown into prison in Paris for a little while, but she convinced everybody that her, the Parisian police were just idiots and they'd made a mistake. And she was a wealthy American woman mm. and they were going to just be so embarrassed when they heard and it what they had done. She convinced like the, uh, what's the guy called in France who's from America? The, the diplomat. Or the diplomat? You know, the guy oh. who's running the diplomatic yeah. service. She showed him some papers or somebody showed him some papers mm -hmm. that said she was this wealthy American woman. And, and he released her. That He made sure that they released her. Wow. And they came back stateside for a while mm -hmm. uh, and did some more crimes in Detroit, some more pickpocketing <laughs> in Detroit. And then they went back and she had her last child in London. Okay. With, okay. That was Big Jim's daughter. Okay. Sophia and was she Brady. and Big Jim married or just They dating? were married, but Sophie wasn't divorced from Ned <laughs> yet. Okay. So. A little bigamy. It's nothing we haven't heard of on this <laughs> podcast before. Right. It's fine. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, it took a long time to get a divorce back Yeah. Then, and Ned know? was in prison, right? Like, Ned was in prison. How, how's so he going to... Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't have the time to divorce him. She's right. got, she's got <laughs> pockets right. to pick. Right. Exactly. <laughs> All along, she continued the pickpocketing and shoplifting. So she's continuing doing that, too. <laughs> so, but, um, yeah, after the turn of the century, she was claiming she was reformed, but, but she clearly wasn't. She wrote her memoir in 1913, although the previous year, 1912, she was arrested in Stockholm, Sweden, mm. uh, for being a suspicious person. <laughs> However, and there's a mugshot that, that proves it. Ooh. However, um, she wasn't charged with anything. Okay. You know? Do you have that mugshot? The police shot? often arrested people as suspicious persons, you know, just yeah, sort of yeah. harass them. Yeah, um, yeah. It's the same today. Yeah. Do you yeah. have that mugshot? I do. Okay. Yes. Can we post uh -huh. it on Instagram? Because I'm sure people would absolutely. love to see it. <laughs> okay, yes, great. Absolutely. Great. She was actually over there because Billy had been arrested in Stockholm and he was in prison. Okay. And she wanted to come to his rescue. She was always coming oh. to his rescue. Mm. Billy was quite a bit younger than she was. And it's hard to know if she considered him a husband or a son or both, mm. you know? Yeah. So that she went over there to see him, but you know, okay. she was apparently also scoping, possibly scoping out some shoplifting opportunities. Over I'm there. sure she so. was. <laughs> she she multitasked. Yes. <laughs> right. The memoir came out in 1913. It's called Why Crime Does Not Pay, mm -hmm. which is hilarious. You know, it because crime definitely had paid. paid so well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do think at about around that time she did stop doing mm -hmm. any crimes herself okay but. well I think her memoir is funny because I've seen this in a couple of criminals around that era it's like they reached a point when they 
it seemed to think it would be more lucrative to rebrand as an anti-crime figure. Mm -hmm. And so I find it hard to take any of their quote unquote reformations very seriously because Mm -hmm. they do seem just like a new stage of like, okay, too many people know my name and face. How can I continue (laughs) my career? Well, now I'm going to become famous for saying like, young folks do not do what I have done. (laughs) Is that a fair analysis of her memoir? Well, it's clear that she had a, I mean, I don't know if I would say narcissistic personality disorder, but it's clear that she was a narcissist. Mm. When you're a narcissist, you love getting attention and being in the newspaper Mm -hmm. and, you know, having people talk to you about whatever it is you're famous or infamous for. And I think that that was true for her. And I think that that went until the end of her life. She, you know, that never changes. It was like she flipped her crime career on its head. And now she's going to talk about why crime is bad and get a lot of attention for that. While still getting to relive her crimes. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And she apparently loved to tell her friends and neighbors about all of her exploits mm. and her family. Well, maybe not her family. Her children all had to take aliases so Aww. that they were not associated with her. Okay. Because other than George, nobody else wanted to be a criminal of her children. Mm. So they kind of just wanted to like, not be associated with her. Mm, That's poignant. Yeah. You write about how in her memoir, she inserts herself into a lot of (laughs) other crimes (laughs) that she couldn't have been a part of. So that seems narcissistic. Yes. You know, she was was she trying to claim credit for all of the crimes, basically? (laughs) Yes. For any of the ones she's inserting herself in. Yes. Her version of how she and Ned escaped from Sing Sing is different than... Mm the version I tell in my book. Hmm. But her version is ridiculous. It could not possibly have <laughs> yeah. happened that way. What does way. she say happened? Oh, she said she was able to get over to the men's prison and meet with Ned and get out on the prison grounds. And Ned was able to get in and he dressed up <laughs> as an Indian chief and they met. And, you know, he told her how things were going to go down when he came to get her. And in her version, she has engineered everything, mm-hmm. the entire plot, like mm-hmm. getting the people who help from outside. It's all her. It's all her. Mm, yeah. It didn't go down that way. <laughs> oh, Sophie. <laughs> Why crime does not pay the best, the best and most ironic memoir title for her. So, um, tell us a little bit about her final years, because I know she got robbed herself, didn't she? She did get robbed, yeah. As time went on, Billy died in, I think, 1919, and that Mm -hmm. was a big blow for her, because she Mm -hmm. and Billy had finally got married in 1910, and they had known each other for like 40 years mm-hmm. and been kind of off and on for some of that time. So that was a big blow. And then her son that she really liked, Victor Lyons, whose alias yeah. was Carlton Mason, he died. He predeceased oh. her. Now, he had oh. run all the way to the West Coast to get away from her. Oh, but, but she it really... didn't matter. It really made her sad. She carried oh, yeah. his ashes around in a an urn she would sleep with his ashes and cry and oh my god how did he die he had some kind of kidney disease or something you know he was like in his 40s when he died okay oh 
things were changing and we're kind of inching towards the gangster era. Prohibition is mm-hmm. has started. And at some point she was in a, a lunchroom near her house and some guys came in and robbed the guy who owned the lunchroom and they robbed her also. Mm. And her house was broken into at one point and she was robbed. So some crime was happening to her. Mm-hmm. That must have been <laughs> She shocking. was on the other end. Yeah, yeah. That must have been very odd for her to experience. Right. But was it the kind of thing where there was a new era of criminals, you know, happening and she didn't quite know how to function in that world, in the gangster prohibition world? Yes. She would, again, give interviews to newspaper reporters when these Mm -hmm. events would happen, of Mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. And uh, she would say, oh, what is wrong with these criminals? They're using guns. And, you know, they're not smart. They could just Uh, be smart and figure out some devious scheme, but instead they're just using the brute force of a gun to pull their crimes. She was very dismissive and critical of that type of thing. You know, she'd used a gun a couple times herself when she was younger. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I feel like the guns, okay, I know nothing about gun history, but didn't guns get more scary in the era of the gangsters of Prohibition? I feel like... Right. Al Capone yeah. had really terrifying guns and yeah, they had machine Tommy, guns. Tommy guns, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I imagine the gun she used was a pistol. A pistol. Yeah, yeah. 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 So now she's seeing these Tommy gun toting mobsters. Right. But she was just still critical of anybody who used a gun. Sure. You know. Yeah. She conveniently forgetting that she herself had used a gun. <laughs> well, you know, she knew her brand and she stuck to it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> when you're maintaining a brand, sometimes you have to conveniently forget certain hypocrisies in your own life. <laughs> That's correct. And Sophie definitely would follow that rule. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> did the newspaper reporters like her? Some of them really did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Many of them were totally taken in by her. Mm. So I would I would say definitely yes, that in general they did. Even if they didn't particularly like her, they knew she was going to give them a really good story. Sophie had a stroke in May of 1924. Mm -hmm. And it was quite sad because she had been estranged from her daughter. She had a daughter who Mm -hmm. lived in Detroit most of her life, Florence. And um, she'd been estranged from Florence for quite a long time, but she had more recently, quite recently, within like a couple weeks of her death, she had gotten back together with Florence and asked Florence to come and help her and maybe mm. come and live with her even. She knew she was getting old and, you know, uh, needed somebody. She'd also asked Florence to go to England and check on her younger half-sister who was having some health issues, mm. mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And um, Florence was considering all of these options when Sophie died. Mm. So, So she was getting unestranged from Florence, but right. not quite there yet. Not quite there yet, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And how, how old was Sophie when she died? She was 76. Okay, okay. Wow, so she had a long life of crime. Yes. I mm-hmm. mean, like you said at the beginning of our conversation, 50 years? Well, longer. At least, probably at more least. than 50 years. Probably yeah. more like more than 60 years. Yeah, I mean, that is incredible. And sh- it sounds like she never spent 
terribly, terribly long in prison. No, she didn't. No. I mean, <laughs> I mean, how? <laughs> she was remarkable at what she did. Yes, she was. In the last like 10 years of her life, she did get involved in prison reform. She was in a group that was involved in trying to reform prisons and help prisoners when they got out of prison, give them oh. more support oh, uh, than they were getting, mm -hmm. uh, which was really ahead of its time. Yeah. And, and I do think that she truly believed those things. Again, mm -hmm. I, I don't think she was doing that just to get attention. It may have been a little bit of attention, but... Sure, but... Well, she had seen firsthand, I'm sure, with so many of her colleagues and her son and herself, like how easy it is to go back to crime. Exactly. And it's the same today. The system is stacked against you once you have right. a record and the resources are few and far between. And so I can see how she would have been very passionate about this because it probably was an issue that was very close to home for her. Right. But yeah. actually, it caused the last thing that occurred after she died was a big lawsuit over her estate. Oh. Because uh, she wanted most of her estate to go to build a home for the children of criminals. Oh. And her daughter, Florence, said, well, that's all well and good, but I've got a sister in England who is really ill. Mm. And she's getting almost nothing. And oh. she needs some support. So there was a big <sighs> lawsuit over the estate. Okay. And, and who won? Florence won. Okay. okay. And so, so more of the money went to the sister who was in England. At least it did on paper. <laughs> <laughs> and the sister was Florence's sister? So, she or was so her half-sister. She okay. was the daughter of Jim Brady and, and Sophie. Okay, so they had different fathers, but... Right, right, right. Yeah. But so Sophie wanted to build a home for children of criminals, but her own children of criminals <laughs> yes. were not taken care of. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Kind <laughs> wow. of ironic. Isn't yeah, it? <laughs> yeah. It it makes sense though. It's, it seems to fit somehow. <laughs> <laughs> the executors of her estate said that this idea was never going to happen. Really. Mm. It was a crazy idea. They probably could have done something, mm -hmm. but they said, no, we don't. Later, they said, we okay. never thought that was really a good idea. So, yeah. You know. mm, yeah. But she seemed to want to leave some sort of good legacy, I guess. Well, and she wanted it to be called the Sophie Lyons uh, Memorial oh. Home or something like that. So, oh, Sophie. <laughs> is continuing to want that attention even after <laughs> after the grave. <laughs> well, you know, it's your whole life. I mean, you're not yeah. going to change just because yeah. you've died. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, and I think she would be pleased with the title of your book, Queen, oh, <laughs> yeah. Queen of Burglars, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> A fitting title. Can we close out by you telling me your takeaway after you did all this research and wrote this how did you come away feeling about Sophie Lyons oh that's a really good question from the start I was very intrigued by her because mm -hmm. she had done things that other women in her group her cohort or whatever you want to call it didn't do she was really rebellious and didn't want to follow the normal path 
you know, women didn't have a lot of options back then. And especially if you were poor, like she was, you know, you probably weren't going to get any education even. Mm. So I had an admiration for her. Mm -hmm. But it was always tempered with how outrageous she was and Mm -hmm. how she had such a tendency to shoot herself in the foot. You could see all sorts of points where she could have gone a different way and ended up truly being kind of a hero. Mm. But she continued to do things that were just kind of not so wonderful. And it was very hard on her kids. Mm. That was the thing that I was struck by. And that was one of the things that when I wrote the book, I really wanted to find out what had happened to her children. Because, you know, a lot of women criminals, I guess even maybe now, but certainly back then, they either didn't have children or they kind of got rid of them as soon as they could and Mm -hmm. pawn them off on somebody else. But she didn't do that. She wanted to be a mother, I think. Mm -hmm. think, But she just didn't really know how. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't have written a book about somebody that I really disliked. Yeah. Because I just couldn't. There's plenty of people like that that you could write about who are very interesting, Mm -hmm. you know, criminal women. So I have sort of a grudging admiration for her, (laughs) but but I'm aware that she had a lot of uh, not such wonderful tendencies. Yeah. But then on the other hand, she also was mentally ill. I'm totally convinced of that. Yeah. And how horrible would it be to be mentally ill in a time when nobody understands your mental illness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're blaming it on you, mm-hmm. mostly. Oh, yeah. And they don't know how to treat it at right. all. Right, or that it even exists, right. period, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I am struck by how much she got done while suffering from a mental illness. Yes. I'm sure her struggle was very intense, but she seemed to manage to keep moving forward despite having no treatment or resources. Right. And also constantly being with men who were not helpful. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, she was helpful to them. <laughs> she was helpful to them. But they, by and large, weren't helpful to her. Mm. They were just doing things that were going to make her life more difficult. Mm. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, she is a pretty impressive broad, I got to say. <laughs> you know, even though we don't technically condone the crimes, right. but we appreciate what it took for her to make such a storied career for herself, shall we say exactly. that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, you know, she did end up with nearly a quarter of a million dollars. That's not nothing. No, it was like, that's like three and a half million dollars in today's money. And that's substantial because she came here with nothing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of the criminals that she was friendly with ended up with nothing. And thus concludes our tale of Sophie, the girl who couldn't stop pickpocketing. Okay, I know there's much more to her life than her pickpocketing, but that was the detail I kept coming back to. Is like, Sophie, girlfriend, you've made enough money from crime by now. You don't have to keep 
creepily reaching your hand into other people's pockets, but it seems that you are unable to stop. What's going on there, Sophie? If you want to learn more about Sophie, read her bio. Her official bio by Shane Davidson, who you just heard from, is Queen of the Burglars, The Scandalous Life of Sophie Lyons. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes, which we learned where the show notes were last episode, remember? And also, if you want to just learn more about Shane, you can go to her website, capturedandexposed.com. And I'm posting some photos of Sophie and relevant things like that on Instagram.com slash criminalbroads, as always. A quick thank you, well, a drawn-out thank you, to this episode's new patrons who are keeping this creaky ship afloat. Do I make a ship metaphor every week? This week, I'd love to thank Cassie P., Felicia D, Roxanne K, and Serenity. Great names this week. Thank you guys so much. Very, very much appreciate it. And I'll see you here next week. We have covered, oh man, the past couple episodes have been, well, I don't even know how to summarize the past couple episodes. We've really come at this subject from every angle under the sun recently. But next week, we are getting into a crime that is tabloidy. And we're going to peel back the creepy tabloid surface, which made this sound like the wildest tale ever, and see the truth that this was, in fact, the wildest tale ever. It's not in Florida. Don't worry. This time we're going to Southern California in the 90s. I'll meet you there next week. Bye, everyone. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong Loving you dear like I do If it's a crime then I'm guilty Guilty of loving you Seeking the truth never gets old Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.